Okay, would you guys turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3, uh, verse 13, and I'm going to have Lori Mashenko uh, read us the word. Good morning. Okay, James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where every, or, sorry, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now, the fruit of the of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Well, like I mentioned um, earlier, we're going to be taking a short detail this morning and looking at James chapter 3. And it's relevant to where we are as a church body going through the book of Proverbs on Wednesday nights and about to start um, Genesis because you'll see we'll reference it even um, later in in the text today, but in the beginning, um, even wisdom, the world was created in the wisdom of God. But if you didn't catch, I just wanted to highlight a couple quick things with the announcements because as if there's not enough to keep track of, there's just a flurry of activities. A couple key points, Israel meeting today after church, um, youth group Wednesday nights, young adults ministry starting at the end of September. Guys, next Sunday is the last day to sign up for the men's retreat. We really want to encourage you guys to be there. Um, you'll be blessed as we look at what it means to be a servant. So if you're not technical, come see me and I'll get you signed up for the men's retreat. So looking at wisdom, just think, think with me this morning. All of us are looking to something. We're looking to something to guide our lives. We're looking to some way in which we make the many decisions that we make throughout the day, throughout our lives, whether these be small decisions whether they be great decisions on where to attend college or maybe what professional career to pursue, where to work, who to marry, right? Some things could be as simple yet so um, ripple effects of it, of the words that we use. But we're all looking for wisdom and we're all relying on some sort of wisdom as we walk through this life. Think about for a second, the many different uh, wise characters that are portrayed before us. And, and uh, you know, just we can go the route of Hollywood and the movies, right? Who's the first person maybe that pops into your mind of, of a wise character that Hollywood puts in front of us? It might be um, from the Star Wars trilogy of Yoda, right? Yoda, the uh, I don't even know what in the world he was. he's technically considered, but this, this wise little um, fella that goes everywhere and, and helps Luke Skywalker and, and helps defeat, right, um, and, and, and gives his wisdom. Maybe you are a Lord of the Rings fan and your mind went straight to Gandalf, right? The wise wizard. That's what I think of. Like, if, if I think of a wise, wise person, like, that's the first um, thing that pops in my head. The, the older man, right, he has a large gray beard, large um, flowing gray hair and, and the hat on. And of course, like the, not the wizards, uh, he has a staff. I don't, I don't know the movies well enough to know if it's magical or whatever that is. But this wise Gandalf who, 
who is uh, helping um, Bilbo Babbins, right, as throughout the series. Or maybe if you're more for the um, a different crowd in here, maybe it's Batman's trusty servant. Do you remember his name? Alfred, right? He's so consistent. He's always there. He's this kind of this rock that he goes back to who knows the full picture of, um, of Batman's life and the normalcy of life, and yet this, this superhero of a man and all that he's going through. And it seems, he seems to be there to always, that Batman can always press into him or trust him to have a wise saying at the right time to give him just what he needs. And so think about it. How nice would it be for us, and many of us are, are looking to, whether we realize it or not, that, that wise person just to lean into, that source of wisdom for guidance. And so this morning, what we're going to look at is what the Bible lays out before us. This text, as we saw, as Lori read, says that there's a reality that in the world that there's two wisdoms, and there's only two wisdoms. There's two types of wisdoms. Number one, we see that there's a wisdom of the world. And then number two, we see that James says that there's a wisdom that is from above or the wisdom of God. So two types of wisdom versus 14 through 16, lay out what the first type is, the wisdom of the world. It's also called, uh, we will refer to it as ungodly, as, as worldly wisdom. And you see in verse, did you notice in verse 14, it says how this wisdom is seen. In verse 15, we see the attribute of this wisdom. And then number um, three, in verse 16, we see the results of this wisdom. And then secondly, we see in verses 17 and 18, the wisdom from God. And, and did you notice that in verse 17, we see the attribute of this wisdom? And then verse 18, again, the result of this wisdom. So what we're going to look at today is how James lays out these two distinct types of wisdom. And then we're going to ask ourselves, which wisdom are we following? Which wisdom are we pressing into? Are we looking to for our lives? But first, kind of as we just start off, we have to define wisdom. What is wisdom? What is wisdom? Wisdom isn't just the wise, uh, the wise old man who, who has the staff and, and the big gray beard, the big gray hair um, to give us all the decisions that tell us exactly what to decide all, all the time perfectly. But we might define wisdom. One way we could define it is the right knowledge, the right truth or experience that's applied to life. So taking the right knowledge, taking uh, a depth of experience, a depth of truth, and applying that to our lives. Um, there's a difference, as we'll talk about, between just knowledge and wisdom. See, somebody can know exactly what to do. Somebody can know all the truth. Somebody can have um, much life experience. Somebody can know um, the exact words to say. But unless it's applied, it makes no difference. It's not wisdom. And so wisdom it takes it and moves it just from the knowledge to the application which leads to transformation in life. We might say transformation for the good or for the worse, depending on whether it's ungodly wisdom or whether it's godly wisdom. But uh, Tim Keller, I like how he defines wisdom. He defines wisdom as knowing how things really work and happen. Knowing how things really work and really happen. It's interesting, I'm uh, listening to a few things from him. He said, like, oftentimes we today, we try to use magic. Now, we don't call it magic, but we want to conform reality to what we want, 
magic, changing reality, where wisdom is, this is reality, and I'm conforming to that, or I'm changing to that. And we're talking from a biblical, from a God perspective of reality, okay? So just hang with me. We're going we're gonna to parse all this out, I promise. So when you have the right knowledge, when we have the, the right um, understanding, when we apply that, we succeed. We, we accomplish something. For example, have you ever had to make a hard, a very difficult decision that had not only an implication um, directly to yourself, but maybe this it wasn't even exactly all about your life, but it had an implication on somebody else? That's a weighty decision. You know, put yourself in that shoes. If you were a judge in a courtroom and there was a dispute, there, there's these two different parties who, who come together. They lay out their case. They both have um, sufficient and, um, you know, lots of evidence and witness of, of why they are correct and why you should side with them. And there's no clear, there's no black and white answer of what to do, what the ruling should be. But that ruling, the, the decision that you make, has, will affect both families. One will be happy and one will be distraught. How do you make that decision? See, we need wisdom. Because every decision in life, what we do as we're navigating life, isn't um, always black and white. And no doubt, as we ask for that wisdom, we, we know that we can have that type of wisdom even from the Lord. Well, how so? Well, that example that I, was, that I gave you is actually an example from the Bible. If you remember Solomon, right? The Bible tells us that Solomon was the wisest man who had ever lived. And yet Solomon, as he was king, there was these two ladies who, who came before him and they were arguing. The case was, my child died and she took my child. And now she's claiming it to be my child. And the other woman's saying, no, it was her child that died, right? And so what did Solomon do? You remember? He said, well, take a sword and cut the child in two and give half to this woman and half to this woman. And remember the, that God used that to bring forth the truth in this situation because the woman, the woman whose child it actually was, she said, no, don't kill him. Don't kill the child. Give it to her. I'd rather the child live. And the other woman was like, yes, kill it, right? Because she just wanted, she was envious. She was bitter because she had lost her child and she didn't want that woman to have her child either. And so wisdom that is from above, wisdom that is from God. And so let's look at these two types of wisdom. The first type of wisdom that people live by, again, there's only two types of wisdom. We're living from one or the other. It's laid out in verses 14 through 16. This is the wisdom of the world or ungodly wisdom. Let's look again at verse 14, where James writes, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom, he says, does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So what's behind this wisdom? Did you notice that James tells us this in verse 14? In verse 14, and there James lays out at the root, at the core of what is behind this wisdom is two things. First, he says that there's bitter envy. Bitter envy. 
So we can d- define bitter envy as harsh feelings, as desiring to have what another has, simply because I don't have it. A bitterness within, within you. Do you ever take a bite out of something that's bitter? Right? It just it doesn't sit right. You know that that's not right. So at the core of ungodly wisdom, he's saying that there's bitter envy. Not only that, but he also says in verse 14 that there's self-seeking behind ungodly or, or worldly wisdom. Self-seeking. And that's pretty simple, right? The motive uh, behind the wisdom, the motive behind what's driving what he's saying is a bitterness in that person or the self-interest, the self-motive. How can I look out what is going to be best for me in whatever this decision is, this course of action? He's saying that this is at the root of it, the heart of it all. A person will desire to have what others have simply because I don't have it. And this person could be in a position, this could, that, that thing that they're desiring could be a position, maybe a possession, maybe it's a reputation. Man, I, I, I want, see how everybody looks at that person? I, I want that, I desire that. Um, anything really. And at the core of that bitterness or that self-seeking is simply self-interest. Self, what, what somebody is doing and what we do when we walk by the wisdom of this world is that we're looking to prove ourselves better than others in some way. Man, I'm bitter at that because they have it and I don't, and I need that. I want it. And so until I have that, I'm going to be bitter. I'm going to, I I need to put myself on top. That self-interest, that's what he's saying. And so we can even say then at the root, as in all of this, is that the wisdom of the world is looking to gain worth of self by overcoming others in some form to have success quote-unquote by living for self the wisdom of the world you know an interesting example and i think um and i and i say this um not not lightly and 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 i'm going to use this example i'm not making fun of the person at all um but it was something that if you're a sports fan you may have um recently heard about this but i guess there's a documentary out um, um it's called the untold series and on Netflix, and I saw a clip, um, a short clip yesterday of one of the series, one of these videos for Johnny Manziel. You guys know who Johnny Manziel is? Yeah? I think, I don't know what year um, he played football, but back in the day, he was at the top. Like, college football, he came in as a freshman and I think um, won the Heisman Trophy. He was the first freshman to ever do it, I think. Um, And then his second year, his sophomore year, he was like all the rage. They called him Johnny Football. Like they couldn't keep his jerseys or his shirts, his numbers um, out there. He was like the man. And it's interesting. What happened is is he soon. Um, if you if you are a football fan, I'm sure that you know a little bit about this. But he got into some controversy, right? And he he ended up leaving college early, and he got drafted um, by the Cleveland Browns in the first round of the NFL draft. And if you know what that means, right? If you're drafted in the first round or in the NFL at all, there's money that comes with it. There's that reputation that comes with it. There's that pride, right? He's a first-round draft pick. Every year, there's only 32 of them. Well, except for this year, 31, Um, right? Because the Dolphins lost their first-round draft pick. Um, But anyways, he was at the prime. He was at the pinnacle. And then he has now an opportunity 
Because the Cleveland Browns every year have a new starting quarterback. Sorry if you're a Browns fan in here, but it's the, it's the reality of it. And he has now an opportunity to um, compete for and possibly be one of the only 32 positions or 32 people, excuse me, in all of the world that have an opportunity to start for an NFL team. Right? And he, and he does. But, you know, if you follow it again, soon, I think maybe he was only in the NFL for two years before he just tanked. And, and sadly, he, he, his life was just overtaking by partying and drinking and wasn't even, you know, on, he was on his off weeks. He was like in Vegas, not even with the team. Um, some of the stuff that I've, I've read on it. But there's this quote that Johnny Manziel says. Now listen to this. Because we're talking about worldly wisdom, um, that bitterness, that envy. I, I need to get, I need, I need what others have. I have to outprove. I have to be on top or that self-interest behind this, Johnny Menzel says this. He says, when I got everything that I wanted, I think I was the most empty I ever felt inside. And you see, there's this, and I'm not saying this making fun. That's not what I'm doing. But this is an example put forth of what the Bible says. That all self, could, all that the flesh, all that this world could ever, ever desire. Yet he says, I had it all. I was at the pinnacle. And yet I was still empty. It still didn't satisfy. And see, that's what, that's what James is saying, even at the end of verse 14. So he says, again, if, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. And when we lie and when we boast against the truth, we're saying, well, Lord, you don't know what you're saying. And I'm still, I'm still going to go seek after self-interest. I'm going to live in bitter envy in my heart. And I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to live by this wisdom. And yet the Bible is telling us that we're lying to ourselves. We're boasting against the truth. We're trying to live in a lie. Go back. Rewind just a second. Remember, what it, how does Tim Keller define wisdom? Knowing how things really are and really work, Right? Again, from the Lord's perspective, do you see how now it's starting to connect? The world says, live for self, live in bitter envious, outprove, get all that you want, and you will feel satisfied, that you will feel accomplished. And yet we're lying against the truth, against the fabric of how God has established this world and how he has established eternity in our hearts. So notice this in verse 15. He says, this is at the core of, of worldly wisdom, but verse 15 says these are the attributes, or we could even say some of the um, fruits, or, or like where it's coming from. And there he says in verse 15, this wisdom, speaking of the worldly wisdom, the ungodly wisdom, does not descend from above. So he's making this contrast. It doesn't come down to us, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. So those three, those three words right there, he says that number one, it's earthly, number two, it's sensual, and number three, it's demonic. So what do we see? He's saying, when he's saying that it's earthly, what's the root? Where is it coming from? It's rising up from the earth, right? It's rising up from how the world says. It's, it's worldly. That's, that's where it's going from. Because he made that contrast in there. He said it does not descend from above. So it's one of the two. There's a wisdom that descends from above, yet there's this wisdom that arises from the earth. Then secondly, he says, it's sensual. And, and you know what sensual is. It's fleshly. 
It's, it's of the flesh, meaning it's from man compared to, if we were to say, the opposite of sensual or fleshly would be spiritual, right? From the Lord. So notice it rises from the earth, from the world. It rises, it, it, it's coming from man. It's a man's own wisdom versus spiritual. And then finally, kind of at the root of all of it is number three, what? It's demonic. It's demonic. See, this makes more sense, and this is perfect as we're in between, we're about to start Genesis and we're in Proverbs. But doesn't this make a lot more sense? Remember what happened in the garden? Is that God created the world. God established the world. God established the bounds for the ocean. He created the animals. He created everything. He spoke into it into existence, right? He always was. And yet, there, what happened when, when Satan tempted Eve, right? Satan said, well, you'll have the knowledge of God. You'll be like God, right? This wisdom, you'll have this wisdom. And where did that wisdom that, that Satan was tempting Eve come from? It was demonic. It was from Satan. It was not from above. And so, see, there's these two wisdoms laid out before us. One of the two. So now we see this source so when we're living in bitter envy and when we're living in self-interest, we're really just living from all that the world can offer. And don't we want more than that? Don't we desire to have a wisdom that's, that's not from just this world because this world's fallen? And when we live from a wisdom that it, the source is of this world, that the source is from fallen man, where's any hope? We need a wisdom from above. Now look in verse 16. Finally, we see the results. What are the results of this wisdom? What happens? What's the fruit of this? Notice, and he says in verse 16, there James writes, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So two specific results of, of this worldly wisdom. He says that there's number one, confusion. Now think of this. This is what we might say, instability, confusion. If you are confused about a decision that you have to make, you're back and forth. Well, should I do this? Should I do that? Right? Should I buy my wife this birthday present? Should I buy her this birthday present? I'm driving. Should I go left or should I go right? I'm unstable. I don't know what to do. There's instability in worldly wisdom. A person might think that they have arrived for a minute by walking in this wisdom. There might be that temporal, like, I, I finally arrived, I can stand on this rock, but soon they find that they fall. It isn't all the stability that they promised, that was promised. Not only that, but he says, it's also the source of, it also leads to every evil work. Every evil work. In other words, we could also paraphrase that. It just leads to all kinds of evil. All sorts of, of evil. Why? Remember again what happened in the garden? Sin entered in. And now the, in Romans it tells us that when sin entered in through Adam, right? Now we also are all born into sin. We're evil. Being born evil. And so, unless we have a wisdom that is not from myself, that is not from this fallen world, what can I expect but a wisdom that is tainted with sin? 
That is a wisdom that is tainted with self-seeking, of self-interest, filled with bitterness, and filled with envy. And so we start to see this, and it makes more sense. We can almost summarize these two things, confusion or the instability, this every evil work, by saying that the fruit of those world's wisdom is worthless. It produces more more confusion. It produces more evil works. In the end, there's no true gain from it, right? There might be temporal gain. Again, because if we say wisdom is how things truly work, that means from God's perspective, those things aren't going to last. Not only that, but man can't be saved by this. This wisdom gives me no hope. And finally, we can't successfully navigate life because we're going against how God has laid out this world. So living life based on ungodly or worldly wisdom will lead to a life of self-seeking, self-interest, an unstable life that has no lasting fruit. So the first type of wisdom now, secondly, we see there's, there is hope because notice he gives us a second wisdom, a second wisdom, a wisdom that is from God in verses 17 through 18. Here, let's read it again. James says in verse 17, but, so you can circle that. That's a comparison. He's saying, here's this wisdom. Here's this wisdom of the world. Here's its fruits. Here's its sources. Here's what it leads to. But notice there's, a, there, there's something to compare it to. And that's a wisdom of God. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So, did you catch right from the beginning, and I've kind of been alluding to this, what's the source of this wisdom? He says it's not sensual, it's not earthly, it's not coming up. Think about that too. When, when we're walking in worldly wisdom, we're almost like lifting self up, right? Self-interest. I, it's coming from up, seeking to lift self up. But the wisdom that is from God is from above. Notice it's not sourced from here. It's not sourced from man. It's from above. It's from the Lord. And that's why it makes sense, James lays forth the attributes, or he describes what this wisdom looks like, and it can only be from above. Notice in verse 17, he says that first, it's pure. The wisdom of God, the wisdom that is from above, is pure. And, and, it's, and it's listed first for a specific reason. Because that means that everything behind it has to be pure as well. There's no... There's no Nothing that's tainted about it. There's no self-seeking at all. There's no self-interest at all. There's no um, sensualness or, or we can say like worldliness in it at all. It is from the Lord. Undefiled. Not mixed with the wisdom of the world. And we have to be aware of that. Of, of, of walking, well, Lord, I'll take some of your wisdom. But I'll also... <laughs> In this couple of areas of my life, I, I don't think that that will work out best. That's a little bit risky to do that. But it's pure. Second, we see that the wisdom that's from above is peaceable. Meaning, James is saying that it produces relationships where people are right with one another. 
It produces peace. It produces peace. But not only that, there's not this division stemming from it, but, it, but first, and, or, or I guess beyond even that, the reality of it is it produces a peace that's, that we're with God. Because we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but ultimately the wisdom of God is Christ and the gospel. And it's only through the wisdom of God that we can be saved. And it's only through the wisdom of God that we can be at peace with God and that we can be forgiven. See, the wisdom of God says, prove that you're good enough in, to God. Or prove that you're good enough and that you're acceptable. Outdo, out-earn, out-obtain from everybody else. And there you'll have peace. But the wisdom that is from above says this peace is given to you. And that's the grace of God, isn't it? Interesting. It's, it's not that we have to dig it up. It's not that we have to find it within ourselves. But it's, descent, it's from above given to us. And this also, though, means, well, okay, you're saying that if I walk in the wisdom of God, if I walk in the wisdom of the Bible, that I'll be at peace and I'll never be at, uh, have a confrontation with another person, right? My wife and I will never get in an argument. Definitely won't happen by like 1.30 this afternoon, right? Why do you guys laugh at that? Some of you are married. I, that's what I take. Uh, so, But, see... You have to filter it through all of these. We can't. We are not exchanging one for the other because notice again what was the first thing? It was pure, and so to, meaning when it's peaceable, it never exchanged purity for peace. Do you see that? It doesn't set aside to be tainted by sin just to keep peace. It doesn't tell a lie which is not pure to keep peace. And it's willing even to say difficult, say truthful things in love so to people who, a world that's living around us that's headed for eternity, separated from God, because the end of that, even whether they accept it or not, even if they deny that truth, our goal in that is peaceable. Here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's peaceable Notice too, think about that. That's what Jesus did. See, uh, religion says, I need to build myself up. I need to prove myself. I need to be good enough. That's the wisdom of the world. But the gospel says that Jesus descended from above and he lived the life that I never could. Therefore, I'm accepted by God and it's given to me freely. And now I'm at peace with God. The wisdom of God. Thirdly, we see that it's gentle. It's a wisdom that is gentle. Have you ever been some around somebody who is pretty smart, who is pretty wise, who knows a lot of things and knows how to apply it, but you just you have a conversation with them or you know maybe it's like a coworker and you have to ask them a question, how do I do this? And when you when you get done talk to them, it's, it feels like yeah, you know what to do now, but you just got hit over the head by a 2 by 4 It wasn't too gentle in the way they delivered it, the way that they come across, the way that they interact with you. Not gentle. One person, one pastor, he defines he defined gentleness or described it this way. He said, such a person that is gentle knows how to make allowances when not to stand upon individual rights and how to soften justice with mercy and always remembers that there are greater things in the world than rules and regulations. Again, he's not saying, and we're not saying, that we ever exchange the truth 
to be gentle, but we deliver the truth in a gentle way. And Jesus was this. In 2 Corinthians 10.1, Paul writes, Now I, Paul myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. And where did we see that played out? Remember when Jesus, he was with his disciples and they were going down to Jerusalem and he said, I must needs go through Jerusalem, or excuse me, Samaria, right? And, and none, none of the Jews ever went through Samaria. And Jesus is journeying with his disciples and they go to Samaria and there he comes to a well and they're thirsty and they're, they're in the heat of the day. And what's at the well is there's one woman at the well in the heat of the day when nobody else would ever go because that woman was an outcast to society. She was an outcast because she has been married several times and as Jesus, he starts to interact with her, he sends his disciples off, he's, <laughs> he, he approaches her gently and he delivers the truth gently, right, to her. Yes, I know that you've been married several times and the, and the man that you're living with now is not even your husband. And, and yet, she comes to a saving faith in, in Christ And see, he didn't exchange the truth to keep peace, but he delivered the truth gently. And see, that's a wisdom that can only come from above. Because if I am trying to prove myself, if I have self-interest, I'm not going to be gentle. Because I I need to show you that I'm better. I need to have that one step up above you and everybody else needs to know it. But gentleness is the mark of Jesus Christ. And see, as you and I walk in the gentleness of God's wisdom, you'll be living out to a world around you who Jesus is. Not only that, but we see that the wisdom that is from above, number four, is willing to yield. Willing to yield. Or we can also say, maybe your translation says reasonable. It's reasonable. What do we mean by this? It's willing to listen to others and yield to them. It doesn't always demand its own way. Now, let's take the caveat, because I know I have to do this, because I know somebody is say, might say this. What do you mean? Okay, like, again, we'd never exchange the truth. It has to be pure. That's why purity is listed first, right? But it's willing to yield. If there's a choice between two things, and it doesn't really matter, it doesn't always demand its own way. Do I go to Chipotle or Chick-fil-A? Do I have to demand my own way? No. Do you get a live Christmas tree or a fake Christmas tree? Does it really matter in the end? To some of you, you say yes, but it really doesn't, right? It's willing to yield. It doesn't always have to have what it wants. And things that are non-negotiable, excuse me, that are negotiable. We're not talking about non-negotiables. And see, see how this is a stark difference against the wisdom of the world? Again, the wisdom of the world seeks self-interest. It demands, it must have it its own way. And this is even, uh, we can say, um, an aspect of humility, isn't it? It's willing to set aside my own demands for the, for the rights or for the interest of another. Willing to yield. Number five, we see that the wisdom that is from above is full of mercy. Meaning that it shows concern or kindness for those in need 
But that, that concern and that kindness is coupled with action. Because we said it's not just knowing. It's just not knowing the truth, but it's living it out. It's applying that. And so see, the wisdom that is from above, it has that response of a heart that sees another that's in trouble and I want to do something and it not only does it want, but it, but it acts. It, it, it puts it into real life. See, even this means that when it was the person's own fault for being in the situation that they're in because of their own foolishness, in mercy, we still go and we still help. And I have a hard time with this one sometimes. I'm like, you should have done it the other way. I told you to do it the other way. You didn't do it the other way. And this is the result. See, should have listened to me. That's not merciful. (laughs) But mercy comes alongside and says, I'm sorry, you know, yeah. You know, here we are, but we're going we're gonna to move forward. And I'm going to help you clean up the pieces. And I'm going to love you and I'm going to stand next to you and minister to you in that. It's full of mercy. And isn't that the mercy that God has shown to us? See, it's because of my sin, the Bible says, that um, we each are responsible for our own sins. We each are sinners. And God didn't say, well, I told you. I told you that's what's going to happen when you take of that fruit. So, sorry, tough luck. But God was merciful. He was full of mercy and compassion. And what did he do? See, in our inability and in our sins, that's when he sent Jesus to come. And Jesus came and saved us. The mercy of God. The wisdom that is from above. Number six, I think it is, we see that it's not only full of mercy, but it's full of good fruits. It leads to much fullness of life. There's much fruit of our lives. It's it's lived out and and it has many results. And um, as Tim always says, you've probably heard if you've been coming for a while, that fruit is not only just something that's, it's, it's something that's produced on a tree for others to come and to take and to enjoy, to bite, to have to have um, to fulfill a hunger, right? And there's a seed in a fruit. It's not a vegetable. It's a fruit. There's a seed that leads to more, more fruit. And so our lives now are full of, it, it leads to practical application, practicality in our lives that others get to enjoy of. It's not all about ourselves. And God uses that to just bless others, to help others, and with the heart is not just to say, oh, what a good Christian they are. What a, what, a, what a righteous, what a moral person that they are. But we're planting the seed of the gospel through that. And it's a seed that maybe we, we sow, sow others water, but God will give an increase to one day. We see, I think this is number seven or eight, that it's without partiality. It's not partial. Have you ever um, put up a... Um, What's that thing called? A partial divide in a room. What is it? Partition. Thank you. I knew that had the word partial in it and I couldn't remember it. A partition. What's it? What's a partition doing? The purpose of a partition is to say, this is my space over here and this is your space over here. It puts up a divide. It's a practical divide that we are putting up. See, the wisdom that is from above does not, there's no division in it. What do we mean by that? There's no, there's no, there's no line where sometimes it's acting one way and sometimes it's acting another way. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes I'm going to choose to live by it and some others I'm not. 
See, it's pure. There can be no divide in purity, can there be? But it's consistent, we might say. It does not choose to be like the world one moment, and then all of a sudden, well, I want to walk in the wisdom of God or the wisdom that's from above another, but it's fully consistent. It's not partial. That's what Jesus was. See, fully walked in the wisdom of God. He walked in the fullness of all the law of God. He fulfilled it all. No partiality in him. And finally, we see that it's without hypocrisy. And this is, again, connected with purity because when, when something's um, or someone is being a hypocrite, well, we can also say that they're not, they're not pure. They're not um, who they're truly saying they are. They're putting on a mask. It's just a game. It's just an act. They're a hypocrite. They're an actor. They're putting on a face. And that's what the wisdom that is from above. Because it's pure, it has to be, and it, excuse me, it can't be hypocritical. See, when we, when, if we're not partial and when we, when we choose to walk in, in godly wisdom, the world will see a life that's lived without hypocrisy in us. And yeah, I, you know, I'm not saying like saddle up and be better, pat you on the back, be better Christians. But we do this and we, yes, we fail, but we repent when we, when we fail, right? We can live transparent lives and we can confess our sins. And I'm sorry that I was, I was sorry that I was putting on a face. I'm sorry. See, but there's one who is never a hypocrite and that's Jesus. And some of us even say, well, I know lots of Christians. I know Christians who are hypocrites. And if this is what godly wisdom is, if this is, I, I don't want anything to do that. That's painful. And that's a turnoff. And yes, that, that is the reality. See, but there is one who is the only true person who ever lived without hypocrisy, and that's Jesus. And we look, we shouldn't put our hope in man, and I'm sorry if, the, if, if people have mis- misrepresented Christ before, but look to him. He was not a hypocrite. So we can say that in summarizing all of this up, we've, we've kind of been putting the seeds out there. But the wisdom that is from above is the gospel of Jesus Christ, isn't it? That's the wisdom that is from above. See, the gospel is not build self up. It's not to live for self. It's not prove your own worth. But it is that your righteousness, what makes you acceptable, all of your worth is given to you in grace. The wisdom of God allows us to die to self because our lives are found in Christ. And I'll keep coming back to this. There's, you're only living by one of these two. You're living by the wisdom of this world or you're living by the wisdom of God. So look at, what are the results in verse 18 of the wisdom that's from above? It's a little bit confusing. Let me read it again. It says, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If you have a New Living Translation... Um, the, the translators, they write it this way. Helps me understand it a little bit more. It says, And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So what, what James is saying to us is that um, wise people are peacemakers. There are seeds that are sown, just like we talked about that fruit from their lives, that create peace. There's a harvest that's coming from living this way. A harvest is something that a, a seed's planted, but there's a long time waiting for the, the harvest. There's seasons of, of where there's much, there, maybe there's storms and there's floods, and will this harvest still come to be? Or there's the, a dry season. And, and Lord, it doesn't seem like it's going to be, but in the end, there's a harvest. And that's for us as Christians how we live, right? 
For those, we know that there's a harvest. There's something beyond just the here and now. But there's a harvest for eternity. And, and see, by living the gospel of Jesus Christ, by placing our trust and our righteous, all of our hope, our righteousness comes from not building self up, not living for self, but because of what Jesus has done. And, and, and a wisdom, a, a freedom, a righteousness that's given to us in grace, there's a harvest. And then God graciously uses us to, as we live lives that, that others can come and partake of our lives to also plant these seeds in others. That one day, Lord willing, there will be a harvest as well. But if we're honest with ourselves, I, I probably, and if you're honest with yourself, I bet you there's some of us, even this morning, are saying this. You're not saying it out loud. Maybe you will. Um, maybe you would. If I, if I didn't address this, you might say it to a close friend on our way home. But some of us are saying to ourselves exactly, if I follow the Bible, if I live for Christ, if I truly surrender all of my heart, and, and if I'm following the Lord, see, I, that doesn't make sense. I, I, I just doesn't rest easy with me. If I'm as generous as the Bible says I should be, if I give of my time, if, if I don't live to build a name for myself or a reputation, I'm just going to be walked all over and I won't be promoted. I won't get the position. I won't get whatever that, that end is. I know it's going to happen. I've seen it happen to others. Maybe I tried walking um, in, in obeying the Lord and it's happened in the past. I'm not going to let it happen again. If we're, and I'm not making fun. I'm just saying that that's the reality of our hearts are, some, are wrestling with that. What do we do with that? See, remember, that seems like it's wisdom to, to say, okay, well, I'm, I'll follow the Lord in these three areas, but the rest of my life, I'm not. Because if I only, if I date, if I marry somebody who's a Christian, I have no hope of getting married. Or whatever it may be, you can place in the situation wherever the Lord's putting that on your heart. See, but that's not wisdom, that's foolishness. Because we think we might think that that's reality, but there's a reality much deeper than that. And that's the eternal reality. Remember, we, def- we, we used uh, Tim Keller's definition of wisdom, and it's being defined as how things really work and how things really happen. Well, the Bible says this. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says there that he has put eternity in our hearts. And we think that this world is all that there's lived for. Even when we're trusting in Christ, our hearts can slide back, right, in times of, like, I, that's really scary to live like that. But yet we know that there's more. And yes, it might cost us something. And if we think that we live for money or being successful in business or having a name for ourselves, we're fools and we feel, fail to realize the reality that God has placed in each and every one of us. So then the question is, okay, well, how do I overcome that? What truth do I need to apply to my heart to help me through that? What's the answer? And, and how, if, I, if I'm walking in the wisdom of this world now, how do I go from, okay, leaving that and walking to, in the wisdom of God? Or I want that wisdom that's from above. I don't want to walk with Gandalf anymore, Alfred. I need a wisdom that's always, always with me, that's guiding me. Remember, Let's go back then to, the, to verse 13. I skipped over it. You probably thought I forgot about it, didn't you? 
There, James writes, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. See, true wisdom is demonstrated in how you live. It's not just truths that we agree with. But how is my life, how is your life actually lived? What are you really making your decisions on? What are you really spending your money on? Where are you spending your time? What are the words that are coming forth from my mouth? That is the fruit of our wisdom. And that tells us what wisdom we are living by. Who is wise among you, he says. Maybe there's some that are claiming to be wise. But he's saying self-proclamation doesn't make a person wise, but it's demonstrated in their actions. Let him show by good conduct. It's demonstrated in our lives. I like Proverbs 25, 14. There it says, Who, Whoever uh, falsely boasts of giving is like a cloud and wind without rain. Did you notice how it kind of seems dark this morning? There's an overcast, and I keep checking the weather. Is it going to rain? Is it going to rain? It seems like it's going to rain, but it's, it's not supposed to rain. I don't know if it is or not. But when those clouds come, and, and, and it looks like, or, or it seems like there's going to be a rain, and there's no rain, it's like that boasting, right? We think, or we say, I can boast. Ah, yes, I'm following the Lord. I'm, I'm living. God, I want your wisdom, but or is my life really aligned to that? So examine our hearts. I must ask myself, is my heart filled with bitterness? Is there somebody in my life that I'm bitter against? You know, you walk, that person walks into the room and you're like, I just want to walk out. I can't stand them. I'm bitter. All right. Is my heart filled with, with envy? You see somebody that maybe the Lord has chosen to bless or, or maybe they have a position or they have something that you want. And it just bothers you to think about that. You're not okay that the Lord has simply chosen to give that to them. If, if, we're, if in our heart of hearts and if we're honest with ourselves, if, there, if there's still places and there's still bitterness or there's still envy, even in those specific places or those situations, we're walking in the wisdom of this world. See, but for us, there's hope. There's hope. How do we become ones who have wisdom from God? Turn to the left, and let's go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul writing in um, 1 Corinthians 1, starting with verse 18. There he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who were called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
Because the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. See, Jesus is the wisdom of God. As we mentioned, see, Jesus is pure. He was sinless. Jesus is from above. He descended. He came to us. Jesus is willing to yield. Remember in the garden, he said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was gentle. We talked about it, the woman at the well. Jesus is full of mercy. He came to us when we were in our greatest need. Jesus, is, his life was filled with good action. And Jesus is always consistent. He's never Never a moment, never a time of partiality or hypocrisy in him at all. And a wise person sees how life really works, where that we're sinners, that we cannot save ourselves, that that, um, all that the world says will fill us, all that there is will fill, we will realize that we'll just still be empty with those things, as Johnny Menzel said. See, but it's a wise person, as we said, that not wisdom is not only knowing the truth, but applying it to our lives. It's the wise person, therefore, who says, I realize this, I see this, because this is the truth of what God says in his word and applies it to your life, and who places their faith, their hope, their trust for the forgiveness of sins is in Jesus. And now says, Lord, not only will you save me, but I don't want to live for myself anymore. Lord, I want to follow you. And I don't live, and I don't, I don't try to earn my way. I don't try to prove myself moral and good now, but Lord, just in response of all that you've done, Lord, I say yes to you. The wise person is one who is continually becoming more like Jesus Christ. See, in, the, in wisdom, the world was created. And in wisdom, God wove into the fabric of the world his eternal reality and who he is and that we long for him in our heart of hearts. And it tells us that you are created for God and that you will only be satisfied in a relationship with God. And it's when sin entered the world, a wisdom, right, when sin was yielded to that was demonic, that was from this world, that was from man, that as this wisdom was followed, the the result is sin separation from God. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, defeated the wisdom of the world, but not by not living for himself, but dying for himself that you and I might be saved. And that's our hope. Because Christ has done this, we can come back into the presence of God. We can experience the fullness of his presence, what we ultimately are longing for. One last place as, as the worship team comes up. I just want to read this to you. And I'm going to read it a little bit slowly. This is Proverbs chapter 8, excuse me, Proverbs chapter 9. And if, if you were here on a couple Wednesdays ago, as we, we were in, I guess it was last week, as we were in chapter 9, the Proverbs actually start, chapter 9 is the end of the introduction. But listen, I, I just pay attention. Listen to what these say. There's only two wisdoms that we're living by. Or there's, excuse me, there, we're only living by one wisdom. It's either the wisdom of the world or it's the wisdom of God. Listen to how the writer of Proverbs put, puts this forth. Speaking of the wisdom of God, he says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also furnished her table. She has sent out her maidens. She cries out from the highest places of the city. Whoever is simple, let him come and turn in here. 
As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come, eat of my bread and drink of my wine I have mixed. Forsake foolishness and live, and go in the way of understanding. He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself, and he who rebukes the wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied, and, your, and years of life will be added to you. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you will bear it alone. This is said against the wisdom of the world. Listen, he says in verse 13, the foolish woman is clamorous. There's this idea of there's these two um, lady wisdoms, right, that are laid forth. Which one will we follow? She is simple. She knows nothing. For she sits at the door of her house on a seat by the highest places of the city to call to those who pass by, who go straight to their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell. Guys, this morning, there's two wisdoms calling out for you. Bidding that you follow them. Who are you following? Did you notice that the wisdom of the world, that there's a half-truth in it? That's, um, that stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret places is ple- pleasant it is for a second right in hebrews it tells us that um there's pleasure in sin for a season but the end of that the bible tells us is death see but the wisdom that's from above as we read in uh earlier in nine he says um he invites th- this wisdom standing calling whoever will come let him come it's it's at the gate it's where all can hear You're invited this morning even to follow this wisdom. But notice in verse 5, it says, Come and eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Forsake foolishness and live. That's the eternal reality. Come and eat of the bread of the body of Jesus Christ. Come and take of his wine. Take of his blood that was shed for you and I. Because whether we deny it, whether we believe it, the Bible tells us, that we'll all stand before God one day. And we'll give an account for our sins. And it's our only hope is the blood of Jesus Christ. So Father, this morning, um, Lord, as we just end, God, I thank you for this invitation that whosoever will, Lord, let them come. Lord, you even tell us and um, come and let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, I will make you white as snow. Lord, and I thank you that, Lord, you love us, Lord, so much to tell us the truth, Lord. You don't want us to be deceived. Lord, we'll never be able to say on that day, Lord, I I was never told the truth, or Lord, why didn't you tell me these things? Lord, but you've laid out the truth before us today. God, I pray that um, if there's those who are struggling, God, to, uh, they, they have this desire even still to follow after the world, Lord, that their hearts would realize your invitation of grace. God, your invitation of forgiveness of sin, or your invitation to find satisfaction in real life in Jesus. And this morning, God, would they yield to your invitation to come and take of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, and for us, Lord, who um, have made that decision, Lord, may our lives be fully lived, Lord, unpartial, Lord, walking, um, saying yes to all of the truth of your word. Lord, would others be able to say that there's no hypocrisy in us just simply because it's you living in us? 
So Lord, would you continue to work as we um, just worship over this last song? And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.